0: Either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film.
1: It's so bad.
0: And welcome into our year-end countdown, our year-end look back. She is Hope Madden. I am George Wolf, and we are from MadWolf.com. And we've got a top 25, and I think we arrived at the top, the, the, the ones at the top pretty early. Certainly the top four. Yeah. But then putting in these last few, it was it was tough. But boy, some good films. I expect a lot of these. A lot of these have already had awards consideration. Of course, when we get to the bigger awards later on. I think a lot of these will be showing up. Yes, yes. At least we hope so. Uh, a couple, I guess the spoiler alert right off the top. There's a couple movies that have been getting a lot of attention Uh awards consideration, attention, that are good movies that didn't make our top 25. And if, for people that have been following these, uh, Past Lives and The Zone of Interest, mm-hmm. both good films. Yes, very good. We're not good. saying they're bad films no. at all. And if we'd gone to 30, I'm sure they would have made yeah, it as well. But for some reason or another, just didn't hit us as as deeply as maybe uh, as the, these other 25. But uh, those are both good films for yeah, sure. Yeah, very good. But uh, we like 25 Better. <laughs> and we will dig in. We will we'll go through, what, the first uh, 15 fairly quickly and yeah. then dive in a little deeper to the top 10. But at number 25, it's the uh, story of the rise and catastrophic fall of Blackberry. This was a, a great ensemble cast, funny, and also...
1: Educational
0: for yeah. I think most everybody remembers the Blackberry, but the story behind it is nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was really sort of edge of your seat kind of as well. It was it, it was a, a great one.
0: And it features a great supporting performance by Glenn Howerton. He plays this ruthless business guy who comes in and joins up with these tech nerds to launch the company. And uh, I think he's he's got an outside chance, maybe, of an Oscar nomination, right. depending on how deep the supporting actor category goes. Right. But he is really, really good. And that is number 25, and that's Blackberry. At number 24 is Sofia Coppola's look at a familiar story told from an unfamiliar angle, and that is Priscilla.
1: Coppola all <laughs> it sure does. over it. It couldn't been anybody else. But she does such a wonderful job of introducing a story that everybody knows, but from a different point of view
0: and it's a uh, it's one that is surprising it's also tender it's it's human it's like you say it's it's draped in that visually it's Sofia Coppola all day this sort of a a dream world which makes sense with the world that young Priscilla as a teenager was entering and a couple of great performances um, most notably Kaylee Spaney, I hope I pronounced that right. Really a breakout performance. She's so not, good. She's not really a newcomer, but this might put her in into another league. She's great as Priscilla Presley, and Jacob Alordi is also very good as Elvis. And that is number twenty four, Priscilla. At number 23 on our year-end list, the latest from David Fincher with star Michael Fassbender about an assassin battling his employers and himself in The Killer.
1: Well, if I could get past the Smiths soundtrack, everything else about (laughs) this movie... A lot of Smiths. lot of Smiths. Everything else about this movie I really enjoyed. It was so wryly funny in an unexpected way. And Fassbender, of course, was perfect.
0: He was. And the more that it went on, the more I just couldn't escaped the fact that it seemed like an update of American Psycho.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not just a psycho on the loose. He's, he's found a job that lets him tap into this. But yeah, it's just, and it's very similar it in is. a lot of ways.
0: And so much of how he narrates about his routine and yep, how yep. he approaches mm-hmm. things. And it's not quite as as darkly funny as American Psycho, as as bloody funny as American Psycho, but it is darkly funny, and it is a fascinating film with a great performance by Michael Fassbender, and that is The Killer at number 23. (sniffs) At number 22, a film and a filmmaker that uh, we hold dear. This is the latest from writer and director Colin West, a movie starring Jim Gaffigan in a dramatic role, mm-hmm. and it's called Linoleum. A dual
1: role dual actually plays two people, and this movie is just so dear and beautifully told. And it's very interestingly told, and then at the end of the film, when you realized why the storytelling method is the one that that West chose, it is emotional. It's a it's a kind of heartbreaking, just beautiful often quite funny movie.
0: It really is. And Gaffigan plays he's a host of a children's science show and he tries to achieve his childhood dream of becoming an astronaut by constructing a rocket ship in his garage and then he meets his his doppelganger his other self mm-hmm. and I know this sounds very nutty but like you said when you find out why it's being told that way it is so touching it and is. so moving. It really is. I love the reveal. And uh, I hope this is one, It's it seems to, to be one that might have slipped through the cracks yes. for a lot of people. But please check it out. You can find it now. It's on uh, Hulu and it's on Prime and it's called Linoleum and it's our number 22 of the year. At number 21, one of the funniest movies of the year. Two unpopular queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation. It's called Bottoms.
1: (laughs) This movie is so funny.
0: It is so funny and raunchy. But you know what? (laughs) We're all here for that. It's it's the uh, combination, the reuniting of... Uh, writer, co-writer and director Emma Seligman and co-writer and star Rachel Sennett. And she was the star of Shiva Baby yes. that Emma that uh, Emma Seligman did a few years ago. Well, now Rachel Sennett is also a co-writer. And uh, yeah, you, you heard the synopsis. It's crazy, but it is is and, and raunchy, like we said, but funny. If you like a good R-rated comedy, this delivers the satirical laughs. Oh, I it found does. it very funny. Oh,
1: it's hysterical. It's hysterical.
0: And that is number 21, Bottoms. Moving up to the top 20 now, this is the story of a woman suspected of her husband's murder and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the main witness. It's called Anatomy of a Fall. This one is fascinating.
1: Yes, it is. It is so well written. You know, it's it's mainly a courtroom drama, but because it's not an American courtroom, it's kind of fascinating in that way. But I love the writing of this. I love that it's telling one story, but... What it's really telling you is something completely different about sexual politics and about how hard it is, how the perceived reality is very rarely the actual reality and how hard it is to get people to look past that.
0: Yeah, and also very much about the importance of words mm-hmm. and how words can have different meaning to different people and manipulate it and, and to manipulate a story. It's a co-writer and director Justine Triette, hope I pronounced that right, French. And this features a great lead performance by Sandra Huller uh, as as the wife of the man who fell, and she's also is, is a very big part of the Zone of Interest, and a, the, a likely Oscar contender. Yeah, so, actually, we, for so Zone she's of had a, she's had a big year. Uh, and it's some in English, some subtitles. But you mentioned the courtroom drama; it reminded me a lot of one of last year, I think it was last year's best films, uh, Saint Omar. Oh yeah. Uh, also a French courtroom drama, and they do things differently than we do, mm-hmm. and that becomes into part of it comes into play. This movie doesn't explore all the same themes as St. Omer did, N- not at all, but it's still very effective in that way. And at the heart of it is what happened to this person yep. that fell. Yeah. That's what they're trying to find out, and it is, it's fascinating how they go about it. So that is number 20 on our list. his Anatomy of a Fall. <laughs> Up at number 19, boy, if you like action, here's one for you. An ex-soldier discovers gold in the Lapland wilderness and tries to take the loot into the city. Nazi soldiers led by a brutal SS officer battle him in
1: Sisu. Man, this movie was fun.
0: (laughs) It really was. Oh,
1: it delivers.
0: It delivers. If you want the action and you want the carnage and you want just one guy just wreaking havoc on Nazis, and who doesn't like that? Exactly. Get on this. This is writer-director Jalmari Hellander.
1: Who made that great Christmas movie Rare Export.
0: Yeah, look that up. And the star is Jorma Tomila. And he's great. Does Not a lot of words for Yorma.
1: The John Wick, if you will. The <laughs> yeah. Laplandian John Wick. Yeah,
0: but man, this delivers the goods as an action movie. And that is our number 19 of the year, Sisu. <laughs> Moving up to number 18, the latest from another of our favorite filmmakers, Kelly Reichert. The sculptor preparing to open a new show trying to work amidst the daily dramas of family and friends. It's called Showing Up.
1: This is such a weird little movie. I just loved it. You know, and it's one of those that it's a drama, but it's it's strangely funny. And Michelle Williams, who's in a lot of Kelly Rogers movies, is great in everything she ever does. She's the reason it's as funny as it is. It's her physical performance yeah. that's so funny. It's the way she sighs or the faces she makes when people are talking to her. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, most of all, her neighbor, played by Hong Chao, who's also her, her landlord. Right. And... Michelle Williams needs something fixed, and, well, Hong Chao's not going to get to it. Just these little bits of annoyances while this artist is trying to work, and I think that's what the movie dives into. Just, yes, they're, they're artists, but they're humans, and yeah. they have these lives like the rest of us do, and it just dives into their life and their work and how they mesh and how sometimes it's it's tough to do it all, just like we all have those problems. Right. And it's, it's a great ensemble cast as well, and uh, Kelly Reichert writes with her uh, frequent partner, Jonathan Raymond, and it's just really, really a good one to check out, especially if you are familiar with her work and her types of films. Mm-hmm. This is You'll really appreciate it. It's number 18 on our list called Showing Up. How about more action at number 17? John Wick, Discovering a Path to Defeating the High Table. John Wick, Chapter 4.
1: Well, we've said before, these movies get better with each new sequel. And that's I, I, I've never heard of it. I've
0: hard pressed to find a film series that goes now the fourth one. Each one has been better than before. Yeah, and this one just blows all the stops out. Yes, it's almost three hours long, but man, it just keeps it
1: coming. It really does. The
0: the cinematography, the fight choreography, and of course uh, Keanu Reeves as the iconic John Wick. I mean it it delivers. It you never your attention never wavers, and it also feels. Features a, a great ensemble. Lance Reddick, you know, yeah. in one of his final yeah. Yeah. Uh, roles. Ian McShane is back. Lawrence Fishburne. And we get Donnie Yen and uh, John Wick That's together. Right. Which, yeah. So seems, much fun. Seems overdue. So a great, a great finale. If this is the finale, a great finale for John Wick at number 17. John Wick 4. Up at number 16, it's Miles Morales catapulting across the multiverse. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Well, this, isn't, this hasn't been as great of a year for animation as last year was, but at the top, some great, great films, and this is one of them.
1: Yeah, it is. And one of the things about it, one of the things that makes it so remarkable is how the film itself embraces animation. As a genre, right from one scene to the next, will be completely different style oh, yeah. of animation. It's just amazing.
0: It really is. It's and and a uh, animation cinematography is fantastic. The editing, where the story goes, we were oh, just course, we yeah. were just talking with someone earlier today that hadn't seen it, had put off uh, seen it, had put off watching it for so long. Finally watched it, and of course loved the ending. Yeah, where it leaves you. So yeah, I mean the first one was good enough, but the first one. Remember, the first one surprised us. Yes. We were not expecting for that to be so good. Right. Now this one, now they had to up the ante. And boy, they did. They really did. They did. This is a great, great achievement uh, in animation and just in in storytelling. It's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse at number 16. (laughs) Moving into the top 15 now. This next one follows the history of sports marketing executive Sonny Vaccaro and how he led Nike in its pursuit of Michael Jordan called Air.
1: A great ensemble, and man, did they nail the time period for this. They
0: really did. It's director Ben Affleck. He's also a supporting role. He plays uh, <laughs> Phil Knight, uh, Nike CEO Phil Knight. And it's a great debut screenplay for screenwriter Alex Convery. And I hope he gets some consideration for best original screenplay this year because it's a great it screenplay. It really is. It it's really is. funny. It makes its point. It gets the history across. And again, Ben Affleck, much like he did with Argo, He's a fine director, and he's proved himself again to be really, really instinctual about taking a story that we already know how it turns out. Most of us do, right? <laughs> and still making some tension there. Oh, for like, sure. Is Michael Jordan going to sign with Nike? Well, we know that we, he did. <laughs> we really do, and yet, yeah, yeah, you're you're right yeah. at the edge of your seat. You really are, and I think it just becomes if you can even at this point add anything to the Jordan mystique, I think this is an indispensable part of it. Yes. You know, the story about how this came about is fascinating, and the and the movie just makes it totally engaging. And, yeah, a great ensemble. Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, um, even uh, Chris Tucker, Viola Davis. Viola Davis. Yeah, so that's a good one. That is at number 15, air. <claps> Next up at number 14, probably the largest ensemble cast of the year. It's the latest for co-writer and director Wes Anderson, asteroid city it is a wes anderson
1: film but it's just a joy to watch beginning to
0: end it is the cinematography is great and of course you know how he goes about filming things you know the colors just pop the camera movements and the framing very wes anderson and yeah just this the cast i mean my lord everybody from tom hanks to uh scarlett johansson brian cranston and uh, edward norton jeffrey wright on and on and on and on is this weird story about a a famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to a small rural place called Asteroid City to complete in a ju- to compete in a junior stargazing event. It sounds so wild, and it's such a a multifaceted story as you go back and forth between the play, what the play is saying behind the scenes at the play, and but it's I, I found it totally, totally engaging
1: and charming, very charming, Just endlessly charming,
0: very charming and funny and. A great ensemble, as we said, and it looks fantastic. The technical aspects are really good, and that is number 14, Asteroid City. Next up at number 13, a comedy drama from Alexander Payne getting a lot of Oscar buzz already. A cranky history teacher at a remote prep school forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student. It's the holdovers. Yeah, Paul Giamatti is the the cranky professor, and uh, he's definitely getting Oscar buzz. Divine Joy Randolph getting Oscar buzz. She's the the kitchen manager who also stays mm-hmm. uh, over the holidays and then the troubled student is played by a newcomer Dominic Sessa who's great. Who's also very good as well and uh yeah it's a it's a it's a story where uh, at the outset these three don't have much in common, mm-hmm. but as it go, as they're forced to spend this time together over the holidays and go off on a little bit of a side trip, they learn more about each other and, of course, find that they have more in common than they might have known. And it, it is funny and it's warm, and these three performances are great.
1: And of course, it's Alexander Payne, so you can expect that the writing is on point. And actually, I expect it to get nominated for not just at least two of the performances, but the screenplay as well. Yeah,
0: screenwriter is David Hemmingson, so yeah, definitely could get some uh, Oscar consideration there. And it's another one that really nails the timestamp of the 1970s. Oh, it does. And they're at this uh, New England prep school for boys in the in the winter, so it's, you know, obviously it's Christmas time, and there's snow everywhere, and the and the 70s timestamp is is really good, and it's it, it's funny, but also very, very human as it gets to the, to the end and how they all come to understand each other just a little bit better. And that's number 13, The Holdovers. Next is the latest from writer-director Sean Durkin, the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s called The Iron Claw. Now, we have found since seeing this movie that a lot of people already know all about these Von Erich brothers. We did not. No. Uh, we're not wrestling fans, but you don't have to be to enjoy this movie. Even oh, if not you, at all. Even if you didn't or don't know anything about this family as we didn't, you'll find it really, really fascinating, and the performances led by, I'll tell you what, an Oscar-worthy Zac Efron, are mm-hmm. first rate.
1: Yeah, and again, the writing. The writing is so solid in this film because it's telling you all you need to know without being showy about any of it. And the performances, all of the performances, so good.
0: They really are. It also features uh, Harris Dickinson, who we've been seeing a lot lately. uh, Jeremy Allen White, who a lot of people know now from that show, uh, The Bear. And a guy, you may not know his name, you probably know his face. His name is Holt McElhaney. And he plays the patriarch of this family, a uh, Fritz von Erich, and he is great.
1: He really is. He's so good. You also have Lily James and Warren Tierney. It's just a, a really solid top to bottom cast.
0: Yeah, and and a fascinating and and sad story because one of the things this movie deals with is the quote unquote von Erich curse. Yeah, they had many heartbreaking things happen to this family, and that's what we get into with uh, with Sean Durkin, who made. Martha Marcy May Marlene and The Nest. And he's always been, apparently, a big wrestling fan and wanted to tell this story. Well, telling it and telling it very well. And it is number 12 on our list of the year, for the year. It's The Iron Claw. And right outside the top 10 at number 11, the latest from another celebrated filmmaker, Todd Haynes. 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. It's May, December.
1: Well, Todd Haynes and Julianne Moore, that is uh that is a, a pairing that you always want to see coming.
0: Yeah, they go back to I think Far From Heaven mm-hmm. was the first one. Yeah. Safe was the Safe, first one. Safe, that's yeah. right. That's hard to find, but if you find yeah. it, watch it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I love everything they do together. I love this movie. Uh added to that cast is Natalie Portman, who is great. The two of them are so good together. And then also Charles Melton. Mm-hmm who is shockingly excellent in this film.
0: He really is. And this is a story very similar, if you remember years ago, the the Mary Kay Letourneau, I believe, case. The the story kind of follows her story and her scandal. Um, And as Natalie Portman is an actress who comes and pretty much stays with this couple, uh, Julianne Moore and Charles Melton, Kind of lives with them and try to get the story because she is going to play Julianne Moore in a in a film.
1: And what I love about this movie, the the performances are great, but it's the Todd Haynesiness of the movie. It's the (laughs) way, it's the way you know. It's just, I mean, it's it's not a. It's it's almost campy. It's almost soap opera esque. Mm-hmm. But then he pulls back in ways to he just gives it a, a stamp that is that is so uniquely his own.
0: Yeah, because it goes along, you're wondering, okay, just what is what is he picking at here? And by the end, all the characters have their moment, but I think he's just he's just picking at really the the social the social movements and the attitudes of a of a time, mm-hmm. of, a, of a generation, I guess, and especially the these sexual nature of how people view this scandal. And then you get more and more into Natalie Portman, the actress character, and what's going on with her? How, yeah. how is she approaching this, and how far is she willing to go? Um, it's, it is fascinating, and it's certainly not one that spoon-feeds you anything, especially with the ending, um, well, it, but it's, it's really affecting. As well, and if you remember that uh, that case, it might be even more meaningful to you. It's available on Netflix now. It's a Netflix film. Uh, May December at number eleven. All right, into the top ten now, and at number ten, a woman faces many hardships in her life, but ultimately finds extraordinary strength and hope in the unbreakable bonds of sisterhood. The musical, The Color Purple. I say that the musical because I guess if your social media has been anything like mine in this past week, there were a lot of people that didn't realize this is a musical.
1: Yeah, a lot of people thought it was just a, a remake of the 1985 Spielberg
0: film. No, no,
1: and it's it's an adaptation of the Broadway musical, right. and of course, all of these are just adaptations of Alice Walker's novel.
0: Exactly, and both Spielberg and Oprah are executive producers here, and it really is a triumph. It's director Blitz Bazawule, I hope I pronounced that right, and a fantastic ensemble with an Oscar-worthy Fantasia Barino uh, playing uh, Miss Seeley, uh, reprising her role that she played on Broadway. You've got Taraji P. Henson playing Shug, and uh, Danielle Brooks plays Oprah's part from the movie Sophia, and she was also on Broadway in this. Coleman and then Domingo, Coleman Domingo boy, having a banner great year. Great year he's having, because he is certainly Oscar-worthy in Rustin, uh, his starring role this year. But yeah, he plays Mr., and it's uh, it's it's such a joyous adaptation. I talked to a few people about this movie. They're thinking, "Oh, you know, it's Christmas, and it's such a a sad, heartbreaking film." But I, I get that because the story is essentially the mm-hmm, same. Mm-hmm. But it's such a joyous treatment. You've as as you pointed out, you've got songs, and that helps. Yeah, it does. But just the way it it's not rooted in the pain. Even the way that it frames the painful moments is different. This is rooted in the joy and the exhilaration and the the uplift, the triumph that comes, especially in the third act. Because when you have you have all these other support characters and, and, and their trials and tribulations that are going on in the first couple of acts. And if you remember the story, you know what I mean. But then in the third act, when when Miss Seeley comes into her own, both as a as a character and as a performer with Fantasia, man, it is glorious. And at the very, very end, when everything comes together, it's even more forgiving than the movie was it's even more life affirming of, of, of you know, you, you come into your own through this trauma. And it's just it's it's even though it's a sad story with a lot of heartbreaking moments, it's ultimately an uplifting and joyous film. And it, it's really a triumph. And that is the color purple, the musical version <laughs> coming in at number 10. Coming in at number nine, Boy, a stellar debut for co-writer and director Cord Jefferson, a novelist who's fed up with the establishment, profiting from black entertainment, uses a pen name to write a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain its American fiction.
1: I laughed so hard during this movie. It is very funny. And so
0: smart. So smart, because it's a movie that brings up... Points only to rebut them later. Yeah, and especially with a with a scene toward the end. I'd say in the third act, probably between Jeffrey Wright and another author uh, played by Issa Rae, Mm -hmm. that is great.
1: Jeffrey Wright is amazing. He is. He should definitely
0: get Oscar consideration for this. And and it's a fantastic debut for this for Core Jefferson, a new filmmaker that man put himself on the map right away. Oh yeah, because you're right. It is so smart in tackling very relevance concepts Mm -hmm. about here specifically about the the quote unquote, as the synopsis said, a black entertainment. But you could also move that, move this kind of discussion to other parts of art and other parts of uh, entertainment and things like that. But here it's laser focused on this one area and it just, man, it does it so well.
1: It really does, and also, I uh, uh, you know, shout out to Sterling K. Brown, yes, who um who is he's just such a you know flip the birds to everybody in this in this movie. He's super fun, so much fun to have around, and and his. Rapport with Jeffrey Wright is hilarious. Is they play brothers who clearly could not be so different? Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah, but they're so much fun.
0: But it's got it's got a great ensemble as well, including Keith David. Uh, he shows up. Trace, got... Tracy Ellis Ross. She's very good in this. Uh, we mentioned Issa Rae, uh, Adam Brody. Yeah, on and on and on. Leslie Uggams. Oh yeah, shows up as well. So this is one. man, It is. I love smart and funny together. Mm-hmm. And this one, boy, this one really delivers on both of those. And just a great ensemble, great writing, directing, all the way around, one of the best of the year. Hopefully we'll be recognized come awards time, and that is number nine, American fiction. In at number eight, safe to say one that we did not expect to like this much, Uh, post-war Japan at its lowest point when a new crisis emerges in the form of Godzilla minus one.
1: It's a brand-new origin story for Godzilla. Who knew we needed that, but we did. And as you've said many times, I have yet to come across a person who did not love this movie.
0: Yeah, even if you're not, and you know we're not huge Godzilla fans, but man, it's hard not to just be taken and swept away by this movie. It does just about everything right. First of all, the monster looks great. Yeah, it does. And then it delivers the human side of the story. In a
1: way that I think none of the other 50-plus Godzilla films have.
0: Yeah, it's a writer-director, Takahashi Yamazaki, and he goes back to... Really, the beginnings of the Godzilla, the whole Godzilla uh, stories, back to Japan in World War II mm-hmm. and the atomic age, and and the birth of the monster. And he's really just he's just concerned with Japan, his homeland, his history with uh, its views on its people, especially during wartime and even though the rest of the world is embracing it the movie doesn't really care about that like this this is ours this yeah. is our story yeah. and it just it benefits so much from that
1: yeah no it absolutely does and and from having such a human story at the center of the film
0: yeah and it's it's a story that okay it dips its toe into schmaltz And it takes a couple surprising turns that really may not be that surprising, but it still works. And you'll see other movies in it, Jaws all day. But still, all of it just works to further this story. It gives you the monster early and often. It it just delivers a crowd-pleasing but yet very uh, affecting drama.
1: And I think maybe my favorite score of 2023. Oh, it's a
0: great score. It's a great score, especially if you... Or a Godzilla fan from way back, you'll, you'll recognize the homages in yeah, the score yeah. to the entire franchise. So good. Godzilla minus one in when a very cute little kid. <laughs> <laughs> she was so cute. Very oh, so cute. Godzilla minus one. And another animated film is next at number seven. A young boy yearning for his mother ventures into a world shared by the living and the dead. The latest from Heyo Miyazaki, The Boy and the Heron.
1: Miyazaki! (laughs) I was so happy when when he decided to come back out of retirement to make Mm. another movie. We love The Wind Rises. It was such a beautiful, beautiful film. But this movie, I think, uh, it blends the sort of beautiful, painterly melancholy of The Wind Rises with some of the goofier, Miyazaki-type characters that you're used to, brings them together into what seems clearly to be his real swan song. The whole film feels like... Him looking yeah. back yeah. at everything that he's created and saying goodbye to it.
0: Yeah. So if it is his his finale, very very fitting. And of course, if you've been fans of Miyazaki for years, as we have, this is a a can't miss. You got to yes. check it out, especially on the big screen if you possibly can. And it's out in theaters now, so take advantage while you can because it's beautiful and maybe, as you said, the swan song for a legendary filmmaker. And that is in at number seven, The Boy and the Heron. At number six is our favorite horror film of the year. In a remote village, two brothers find a demon-infected man just about to give birth to evil itself. They decide to get rid of the body, only to end up spreading chaos. It's called When Evil Lurks.
1: This is the best possession film since the original Exorcist. Mm -hmm. This movie... Uh, Demian Rugna is the director. He's he made Terrified a few years ago, which we really, really loved. He did a, a film as part of the Satanic Hispanics. He did a short that was also great. Came out in 2023, but this movie is so magnificent. It is bloody and mean. It's smart. It is surprising every t- every single turn it takes. It is a stunning movie.
0: Yeah, and just it's horror. It is horror oh, all the way. Is, so yes. it doesn't just tiptoe around. This is for. Horror fans. And yeah, Rugna is the writer as well. And this really delivers on it. You're right. A great possession tale. And it's man, it's it's bloody and it's it's tense. And you're just yelling at this one character because of the stupid choices he makes uh, as this chaos ensues and lots of chaos ensues. But even from, yeah, just the very beginning. The very beginning, when the the evil is spread, there's a sense of dread.
1: Oh, yeah. There's a
0: sense of dread that really comes to fruition. And, man, it is something to watch. Our favorite horror film of the year called When Evil Lurks. (laughs) Into the top five now. And at number five, love story that chronicles the lifelong relationship of conductor-composer Leonard Bernstein and actress Felicia Montalegre-Cone Bernstein, maestro. Boy, this is such an epic Achievement for uh, co-writer, director, and co-star Bradley Cooper. This has been in the works for years. His second feature that he directed, *A Star Is Born*, of course, very good, very good, especially for a brand new director. And this, he's he's only you know flexing more muscles now because man, this is a director's film.
1: It really is. And one of the things that is the most fascinating about it is how so it covers a lot of ground, a lot of this man's life, and he you know and and but each era. Gets its own entire look, uh, aspect ratio. Sometimes it's black and white, and right. then it's in color. The costuming, everything about it, just evolves in the most spectacular way.
0: Yeah, and from right from very the the first sequence, I mean, the camera just sings and flows and transitions from scene to scene are just so seamless. And and the writing is great. He co writes with the Josh Singer. The some of the shots he sets up. There's one during the Macy's parade mm-hmm. that I don't want to give it away but you'll know it when you see it amazing just amazing with a that's that's centered around the argument between the couple and uh Carrie as as much as this is Bradley Cooper's movie as co-writer and star and director he's very generous in letting Carrie Mulligan's performance and that character be the soul of the film
1: yeah absolutely and and why not take advantage she's one of the greatest actors she's working great. today and she I mean she's just sublime in this movie
0: yeah, and it's a just a it's a two hour, just a little bit over two hours. So not sometimes when you hear about these these big by oh it's gonna be three hours. No. Just a little bit over two. I don't think it drags and it it just presents impressive set piece after impressive set piece. And at the time you you learn more about a character that you you, you may know. I mean iconic composer, American composer, Leonard Bernstein. But if you don't, you'll learn a lot. And about a fascinating individual and the life that he led. And it is Maestro out uh, out now, and it's on Netflix, available on Netflix. But again, if you can see it on the big screen, please do. Gorgeous. Because it is worthy of it, and that is Maestro. And next up at number four, one of the two films that pretty much got people back in the theaters this year in droves, Barbie, suffering a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Greta Gerwig's Barbie.
1: What an unbelievable triumph this unbelievable. movie was, and we, you know, because we have we had one hundred percent faith in Greta Gerwig, we knew that it would be. But even so, it just shattered our expectations.
0: Yeah, she uh, co-wrote it with uh, Noah Baumbach, and she directed it. And it is—it's just an an achievement in all facets. I mean, even when you take your take yourself out back to the beginning, and and we ran into people that said this even on past the barbenheimer phenomenon when they both came out people wondering well how are you going to make a movie about barbie just trust us yeah. because what she does with it is just it's it's genius in writing we always say it starts with the writing the script is great the world that she realizes is so so fantastic. Even from the the very beginning, that you know that uh, copies or I wouldn't say cop. From the very beginning, that homage is 2001 oh, in yeah, such yeah. a great way. It's hilarious. Everything about it is so again smart. Yeah, so smart and funny. And and a great ensemble, too, led by Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling.
1: Oh, yeah. Margot Robbie, obviously, I mean, it's the role she was born to play. And she's great. And she produced this. And she, you know, she really got this made. But uh, it's it's Ryan Gosling. Not that it should be a surprise. He's pretty perfect for Ken. But as existential crisis Ken, he's just brilliant. He's hilarious and, and really tender. And
0: I found it just funny. It's, I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but... A little bit of a backlash that came out about how it was bashing men and anti-men. It's it's not. No. It's really not at all. No. Um, just let it. You know, get your don't. You know, get your back down. Um, and and just let it. Uh, you know, embrace it. Embrace what it's saying because it's not. I didn't feel
1: like it was bashing men at all. No. And also, I, the set design is insane. It really. You know, and and actually, we're gonna say that a bunch in the next few films. Yeah. But the set design in this movie, and there are these these they where they travel where they travel back and forth, and it's like. You know, it's there. It, it's so gorgeous. They're in, it's almost like a, a silent film where the move the the car isn't really moving, but this colorful yeah. background is moving behind them. And then it's space, and then it's the ocean, and it's just everything about this movie is so perfectly executed.
0: Yeah, and it scores with. On one hand, you'll get the speech that America Ferrera makes, which has gotten a lot of yes. uh, attention, and, and rightly so. It can score with that, and it can score with something as silly as Weird Barbie. Kate Um, McKinnon. Yeah. I mean, it scores like that as well. So both ends of the spectrum, what it is is smart and funny and fully realized, and it is Barbie at number four. And what else could be at number three but the other half of the Barbenheimer phenomenon, the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic
1: bomb, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Talk about an ensemble. Yeah. There's like 50 people in this movie, every single one of them is great, but of course topping that list. Wow, Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy Holy at cow. The top,
0: man. One of if not the best performance of the year. Yeah, a fantastic ensemble, everybody from Emily Blunt to Robert Downey Jr. to to uh, Matt, Matt Damon, Damon, to Macon Blair, to pe- people that you may know their faces and not their names. Jason Clark pops up. Uh, Kenneth Branagh. I mean, on and on and on. It's uh, fantastically constructed. Everyth- again, all the technical aspects, the cinematography, the sound design is oh, astounding. Um, you know, everything that goes into making this movie. And it's it seems... You know, rightly so, considering it's so much about science and the exact nature of things mm-hmm. on one hand, and then yet the the moral complications on the other. And as much as the movie is about that for two-thirds of it, then in the third act it becomes like a conspiracy mystery. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting it to take that turn uh, that has a bit of history lesson for you as well. And I remember it was so—because we had to— To to see both this and Barbie early for Mm -hmm. reviews, we had to split up. We did. And you saw Barbie and I saw this. And when we came back together, it was such a joy to be able to present these two movies out on the same weekend and have audiences embrace them in the way that they did. I mean, yeah. a, even after we had seen both movies, we took a walk through our local multiplex, and I hadn't seen it that busy in years. Oh,
1: yeah. Definitely not since the the before times. Right, and people were so amped up for both of these movies, and it's great. And I think, I mean, the best thing about it is that both of those movies paid off. You know, yeah. they were both worthy of that kind of excitement. They, they really were, and it's hard
0: they're so we we had to go back and forth between you know which one would be ranked ahead of the other one it's almost like a coin flip yeah it is because they're 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 going to be linked i guess arm in arm but they're of course totally different movies and on the other hand they have they have similarities as well
1: yeah cuz they're both telling us that men should stop running the world
0: <laughs> and uh this one is certainly heavier in its themes and sometimes breathlessly so Uh, just so well put together and uh, yeah tremendous ensemble all the way around and it is Oppenheimer at number three and up at number two another legendary filmmaker was back in 2023 when oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery Martin Scorsese's killers of the flower moon This is uh, Scorsese co-writing as well, adapting a book about this incredible story. Again, we keep saying these same things. A a fantastic ensemble, and technically everything about it is just outstanding. But at at the top, really, the soul of this film is the character and the performance from Lily Gladstone.
1: And you know what is so stunning uh, about her performance is how how unshowy it is. Yeah. how there's nothing like there's not an extra ounce of any- of anything and it's it's so heartbreaking and it yeah it just carries the entire film she carries the whole film on her face oh right? uh, yeah
0: her face alone in, in many scenes tells you all you need to know and it's a movie that reminds you number 1 how good robert de niro is because even at his advanced age of course he's he's achieved now this place on a pedestal and he's earned it. But let's face it, he's made some crappy movies yes. over the last few years and you know some bad comedies and and whatever goes into his choices that's fine. But then something like this comes along with his old partner uh, Scorsese and man, he's great in this film as well. Yeah,
1: he really is. Cuz he's just evil and he just doesn't seem to believe it's he's he's bought his own story. He right. believes his own line of bull. And and you know, DiCaprio again is and it's a very different role for DiCaprio. It he is. plays kind of a dullard, kind of a dumb guy who doesn't realize he's a dumb guy. No, for he that thinks reason, he's smart. Right. He does. And it's, and it's a great one of the great things about about this movie is that not for one second do you think either of those two are like cool guys. I mean, there are a lot of movies that really sort of make heroes out of the, the baddie. And mm-hmm. this is the opposite. You hate them both. You want to see bad things happen to one. You want to see the other one wake up. Um and uh, and they both really both of the actors carry that well and also take all
0: that away even if it was people you have never seen before director you've never heard of it's the story you is know. so absorbing oh yeah this it is. mystery and it's heartbreaking and the the history of it and then after all that and this has the uh, an extended running time as uh, extended is three and a half hours but I I didn't felt that it dragged I really no. didn't
1: no and, you're you're so compelled by that's going on and also
0: it leads you to an ending. That is unlike. I, I think it's unlike anything Scorsese has has attempted before. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give anything away in case you haven't seen it. But I think that when it gets to that point, it's very evident that Scorsese has still watches new filmmakers, oh yeah, newer sure. filmmakers, mm-hmm. and is influenced by them. He he does something at the end there that to to, to sort of bridge. Past and present that I don't think he's ever uh, attempted before, and it's a resounding success, I think. I agree. And a perfect way to cap off this movie that is so good at number two on our list, year-end list for 2023, Killers of the Flower Moon. And for a few weeks anyway, we thought that was going to be number one (laughs) until we saw this that came out just a few weeks ago, the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist, Dr. Godwin Baxter, it's Yorgos Lanthimos, his latest poor things.
1: My God, every single thing about this movie. I just every single thing. You know, and it's a, it's, it's a Frankenstein story, mm-hmm. which, I mean, we saw at least two other Frankenstein stories this year. There's so much that can be done with, with that tale, but um, this is as unique a vision uh, of what Mary Shelley wrought as anything you'll ever see.
0: Yeah, and if you don't know Yorgos Lanthimos, he's been one of our faves for a while. He did movies such as The Lobster, The Favorite, mm-hmm. Killing, Killing of, of a sacred, sacred Deer, deer Dog, dog tooth. tooth. He's great, and he he's such a... Here he's just all into his bag, as the kids say. <laughs> he's such a master satirist. Now, he didn't write this, this script, which is fantastic. Tony McNamara and Alistair Gray. They did the writing, but it, it's you can see how it's a project that attracted... Lanthimos, because he's such, he's one of the master satirists, I yes, think, of the day. Is. And this movie, yeah, you say it's its based on the Frankenstein story, but it's very, very funny and very, very, it, it's just, you smile even though <laughs> they're bringing this woman back to life. They, they bring, Emma Stone is brought back to life. She's Bella, an adult body with a child's brain. And so... She has to relearn everything as a child would, even though she has an adult body and has, I guess, what you'd call it, physical independence. She's not helpless, right? Um, and but she does it. She comes into her own, her sense of self, without any sort of preconceived notions about social etiquette or or how a woman should act or shame or anything like that. And it makes her very attractive to men in a man's world at first, and then they're challenged by her, yeah. and 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 while she leaves them behind, specifically. Mark Ruffalo, who is so great in this in this role as sort of different for him. He's oh, he's, he's a roguish cad. Yeah, yeah.
1: Wildly against type.
0: But he's 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 a shoe it I think for an Oscar nomination. Oh, he's and great. He's
1: so funny. And it's the script is is remarkable in everything that it manages to say without beating you about the head with anything. I mean, it's so, so, so smart. And Emma Stone, boy, she must have just relished this opportunity because oh, yeah. is there a larger arc that she could have had? You know, oh, she yeah. starts with a baby's brain and an adult's body. And, of course, just that, the notion that how many men, I mean, that's perfect. That's a perfect woman for a man. She's got an adult body and a child's brain. And that's one of the things that's so smart about this is that, the longer it goes on, and and how she uh, out, you know, she she gr- outgrows everyone around her because she's able to just develop properly, which is to say, without the constraints of of shame, for example. It's, yeah,
0: and it's the the world that Lanthimos constructs. It's so. Well, you, you had a good way to describe it in your written review. It's a, it's a sort of a cross between Victorian England and Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. You are not you can't quite pin it down. No. But the production design is incredible. The, the costumes, the cinematography, of course, if you've seen any of Lanthimos' films, you expect some fish eye, some different mm-hmm. angles, a bit disorienting. But it all puts you in this world where you're not quite sure when and where you are, but it, it helps to just envelop the story over you.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it looks like nothing else. It yeah. is a stunning achievement in everything technical and visual, and acting, and yeah, and and it's, but it is. We keep
0: we keep stressing the fact that it's funny yeah. because when you say it's a riff on the the Frankenstein story, yes, it is, but it's also just just smart satire. Yeah, and, and body. very very funny. So which we yes, had to, yes. We, yeah,
1: we had to point out on TV today. Um, it is very much an R rated film because there's a ton of sex in it, or Furious jumping, as Bella calls it,
0: <laughs> a lot of sex in it, a lot, and so it earns that R rating. But it's it's certainly it's not presented in any sort of leering, gratuitous nature at, at all. all. No, no. It seems just just right in line with her character learning about... She
1: just wants to experience everything.
0: Exactly, exactly. And then once she experiences it, she wants to experience it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great, great film in, in all in all aspects, and it is number one on a good list of films. So uh, that is one that's out in theaters now, actually. And so many of these these films, as we always say, even if they are available for streaming, boy, so many of them deserve to be seen on the big screen. This stream. one certainly does. This one definitely certainly does. And uh, it is out there now. So what do you think? Uh that's a that's a big list. Twenty-five films. Maybe we missed something. Maybe something was too far down the list for you, but uh let us know. Always good to keep that conversation going. You can always find us easily on Twitter at Mad Wolf, also on Facebook and Instagram and threads at Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find our all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there at madwolf.com. So man, another year, another year of movies. In the books, as we look forward to 2024, but this is a good, you know, it's 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 another year I think that gave us a lot of fuel to combat the argument that it's only just sequels and superhero films.
1: Yes, agreed. It's not.
0: No. It's not. There's some great original stuff out there, and you go down the list, and you'll find. I mean, yeah, we got a superhero on this list too, mm-hmm. but it deserved to be. Yeah, They can be good as well. But there's so much more out there, and uh, seek it out. And let us know what you think about the list. What you're looking forward to as we start 2024. We look ahead to next week. We've got well, not not a lot of films, but we've got a new one, a new horror movie that we have high hopes for. We have high hopes for all horror films. <laughs> Hope it uh, pays off. Called Night Swim is also, next week.
1: The new Jessica Chastain Memory.
0: Also, one called The Bricklayer. And Good Grief. Good Grief. All right. But that's next week. This week, we're still dealing with the end of the year countdown. So let us know. Love to keep uh, talking about the movies. Uh, if you're up for it, we're up for it. Have a great new year. Be well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. New year! <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.
1: Bye.